0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Jukebox on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. Joining me, as always, is Nick.
1: And with this, now we die!
0: Yeah, today we are on Machine Head's eighth studio album, Bloodstone and Diamonds. And yeah, we've kind of come to the end of what we considered the golden era, which is from 2003 to 2014. Something significant about this record is it's the first one on a new, well, new for them record label, um, Nuclear Blast. That's a pretty big deal um, considering... Um, Roadrunner
1: basically shat the bed in the early to late 2010s. Yeah. And also, uh, we will get into this on track 10, but this is also the first album to feature Jared McEachern on bass because Adam Deuce was out of the band right at the beginning of 2013, so... The bass playing spot was vacant, and Jared McHakern of the band Sanctity basically filled the void.
0: Yeah, we so. will we we will get into that um, for sure. Um, the only the only real um, only real negative I have of this album, and it's nothing against Jared. It's just, um, I don't I don't really notice the bass as. As much um, on these tracks, but you know, maybe, maybe maybe he just doesn't have as as much of a presence as Adam had. But again, we'll get more into that later. For now, uh, uh, go ahead.
1: I was actually going to say I noticed his bass play, Like I, I've mentioned this to you i don't know if i mentioned this in the last episode but i recently just got like a new pair of like sennheiser headphones i was noticing his bass like pretty frequently and plus he does have a lot of songwriting credits all over mainly on two specific tracks but yeah he's clearly not just some hired
0: gun and that's that's actually that's actually um good um well good for the band in the long run um because something I something I have noticed is that no, none of none of these uh, musicians have ever really phoned it in, even on the albums that we don't particularly care for. It's the writing choices that we don't like, not their talent. Yeah, exactly. So, with that with that said, we start with "Shocker," another banger opening track. Now we die,
1: which. Man, talk about kicking you in the face as usual every time they open a record.
0: Seriously, I like even even on Supercharger. Um, like our highest compliments were, um, like that first track, not counting the intro,
1: like the first real track. Yeah, bulldo, like really, Davidian, ten ton hammer, desire to fire. Even yeah, even desire to fire, bulldozer, imperium clenching i am hell this none of these songs even the weakest out of the bunch that is desire to fire it never slouches on how intense the music can be and plus as usual our man phil demmel bringing the heat with the shred
0: hell yeah i also really like the um like the string arrangement um, in the background. It, ad- it adds to, and I'm going to say it's a lot for this record, a sort of um, cinematic quality.
1: Which actually Reese Fulber, who's, I'm probably mispronouncing his last name horribly there. Reese Fulber of frontline assembly fame and also producer for a lot of Fear Factory's most classic records he actually did the string arrangements on this and another song on this record.
0: Oh, that's that's good to know.
1: And just be, just don't get us wrong either. This isn't just Machine Head trying to sound like a symphonic metal band. No, they remind you from the very get go. Prepare for riffs.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but the 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 string the string section is just it, it's just the cherry on top. It's not it's not. Um... It's not laid on as thick as, like, Nightwish or other symphonic acts.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And (sighs) I don't know what else I can really say about this song. I just remember the minute I heard it came out, I I had to jump on my phone and hear it. I didn't care if I was using up my data wherever I was at the time. I was like, no, get your headphones out. Listen to this now. And... Yeah, even after the thousandth time I've heard it, it's still amazing. Yep. Uh, um, the I don't, I don't have really too much else to say. Just it's another really great opening track.
0: Yeah, that's that's really all I have to say too. Um, and then of course we get to the first single, um, "Killers and Kings."
1: which will make you want to flip your desk over because of how heavy it is.
0: Yep. That that opening riff is just kind of perfection.
1: Actually, even, I should mention this because I've mentioned in previous episodes how I've seen Machine Head live. I feel like I should bring this up. The entire time we've been doing this, the first time I saw them live was the tour behind this album in 2015. And the entire time we've been recording these, I've had my signed poster from this tour made out to me by the band. Awesome. And all I have to really say is yeah, as great as the studio version of this is, alive, this song just basically caves your skull in even more.
0: I, I need to find uh, a li- a live recording of the song because even like even the studio mix is you know it's great because the band is great but um like some some of these tracks i'm just kind of imagining what they would sound like live and now i need i need a recording of that like as soon as possible
1: on the deluxe edition of catharsis they actually had Basically the exact same set list that I saw actually on like a bonus disc and a bonus DVD even. Oh, nice. So uh, beyond that, I re- one thing I kind of forgot to mention about Now We Die actually is yes, they still have a lot of the Prague influences that were on the Blackening and Unto the Locust. But at the same time, I don't want to say like they oversimplified it or anything like that, but it's you can definitely tell that there's less of a focus on trying to write the most epic piece that they can write. Like it, it's pretty obvious. It's kind of their Hemispheres to to Permanent Waves by Rush in that sense, where Hemispheres was just this album that you know, the band was just hammering away at, in the studio. And then on the next album, they're like, man, we can't really do the ultra crazy complex stuff again. We kind of got a we're still a prog band, but we got to dial it back in Machine Head's case. It was. Yeah, we brought in the prog elements and we're going to keep them, but let's maybe not have most of the songs be like nine minutes a piece. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the um, the longest one on the record we'll get to later um, is like you know eight and a half minutes. Um, still, still on the long side, but not quite, not quite um, to like the extreme.
1: Yeah, the main studio story I really have to contribute to this because, again, they kept a lot of this a little bit more under wraps from what I remember years ago. But I do remember seeing in, like, Rob's general diaries that he always posts on the band's website. I do remember he was, you know, listening to a lot of Rain and Blood by Slayer and just going like, man, I want to just write songs that just pack as much heavy riffs into it as possible. And you can kind of tell killers and Kings as a result of that. Oh yeah. And I say that in the best possible way, because did I mention how great it is to hear the song over and over again, caving your skull in, because it will do that and you'll love every second of it. Indeed.
0: Um, so moving on to the next track, um, I, I put this in my notes um, the first of the six out of five songs, "Ghost" Will Haunt My Bones. Is it
1: just me or does this song kind of have a bit of a funeral? Like this is, we'll touch on this once we get to the very last track on the record, but does it kind of give you that vibe of we're getting pretty close to the end? I almost yeah. like it's a funeral in a way.
0: I, I kind of felt that um, a little bit in in like the tone and some of the lyrics.
1: Also, this is the first of the two songs that Jared has contributed to the band, especially in the vocal department.
0: His, because... um, I feel bad for under underselling his uh, contributions at the start of this because, yeah, this I don't I don't know if this song would have would have worked as well without him.
1: Yeah, because the difference between him and Adam is largely that my thing with vocalists is that I don't like to like high pitch or whiny sounding clean singing. And his just kind of has that balance of like, yes, everything's, everything's sun- sung properly and correctly. And like the notes are being hit well, but at the same time, like it's not as gruff sounding as the way Adam would. It's pretty clear that they're too distinct sounding backing vocalists, but in this case, it kind of helps elevate the song.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And especially man, did Phil Demel and those riffs as you, especially the tapping, like man, you can really tell the Randy Rhodes influence coming in like perfectly.
0: Oh yeah. I, I could hear that like pretty much through, throughout the song.
1: And also, this is one of the one. I'm just I just have the track list from Wikipedia in front of me, but it's one, two, three. One of the three songs that Dave has contributed to. So, yeah, his contributions kind of like Locust are a little bit dialed back, but don't get us wrong. His drumming is still as crazy as it was on the previous all of his records with the band really
0: yeah i i i told nick um off air that um we we have to make sure that we're not taking um mclean for granted because every every single album so far he has like he has poured like 110 percent into like each track um and even though he's not like contributing as as much, um, like, to the writing, like, he he still delivers on the performances.
1: Oh, 100%. And especially when it just gets to that middle, like, really sledgehammer section towards the end with these ghosts will haunt my bones, they won't leave me alone, and then it just smash it almost sounds like it's just gonna smash right through your speakers it's just that heavy
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh we get to one of my personal favorites on the record <laughs> this one i have pretty much loved since minute number one i almost kind of think this should have been the first single
0: you think so But i
1: mean but i mean that's just me i don't know Plus also part of me gets the vibes Tarantino probably jammed this while writing once upon a time in Hollywood. (laughs) Makes sense.
0: Um, I would love a universe where that happens. (laughs) So the track is called night of long knives. Yeah. This is, this is another, another just example of machine head um, taking your face and just smashing it with, with a hammer 75,000 times.
1: Don't you mean with a 10-ton hammer? Ha <laughs> dad pun. Uh, no, so Night of Long Knives is basically, if the Tarantino reference wasn't a dead giveaway, it's actually about the uh, Manson family murders. And it kind of fits calling it Night of Long Knives too because it is some reference to something in World War II. I have the article in front of me. It's a... Uh, descriptive it's a descriptive phrase that was applied to the night in uh in june of 1934 when hitler carried out a series of political murders and given that he was one uh he was one of charles manson's like influences for the killings if i'm not mistaken i could be completely wrong on this but yeah, it kind of, it kind of fits with the title at the end of the day and just the lyrical content, it's not afraid to just go into graphic detail
0: about the killings. Something that Machine Head has always been good at is um is that that sort of storytelling in their lyrics that they're definitely not afraid to go to go dark
1: yeah and it just gets descriptive and on top of that just some of the best music you'll hear on this record i mean phil's solo sounds incredible the drumming is amazing rob's vocals are on point and brilliant and even with the more sung chorus it doesn't detract from it doesn't make it too poppy it still sounds aggressive and heavy it just makes it enjoyable to listen to even though you're listening to a song about a series of grisly murders from the from the 60s if i'm not mistaken yeah from the yeah n- 1969 60s. Yeah, you would think I would remember that, despite having listened to the song millions of times since the album came out. <laughs> but no, the, the night of long knives—it's probably one of, if not my favorite song on the record.
0: Yeah, I—it would probably be um, somewhere in somewhere in my top three. Um, on, honestly, though, um, tra- tracks three to five are are like a a nice little run. Um track number five would be one of my favorites. Um Sail into the Black. This is the this is the eight and a half minute epic that I kind of mentioned earlier. And I know it's a little bit cliche given um you know given the title, but I really I can't help but kind of picture a scene from like Pirates of the Caribbean whenever whenever I listen to this song
1: for Um, me like I can still picture like you know sailing on a boat but kind of like you're just sailing through like this really dark misty fog at like midnight and you're just going on this journey that you're not sure you're even gonna come back from like it just kind of the music and the lyrics kind of just give you this mental image into your brain, and that's kind of the first time on this album for me, where the music just brings that out of you.
0: Even, even, even just talking about it, I still get that imagery.
1: Yeah. Weird enough, though, people I've talked to have said that like this is one of their least favorites on the album. I don't get that. Me neither. Like, is, I is don't... it is it
0: is it because it's not as um as fast or as well. I don't. I don't want to say it's not as heavy because lyrically it's a, um, ly- lyrically it's it's pretty down there.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty dark song, but like maybe because it's a slower song. But through the ashes had slower songs. The blackening locust had slower moments on them. Like I, I don't get it in this case because just the way it brings the emotions out in you listening to it and just kind of giving you that mental image of you know just kind of sailing i hate to be this literal with it but literally just sailing off not sure if you're going to come back from wherever you're going to i don't know that's just kind of what i look for in music and then as soon as the slower part of the song is done, it doesn't fail to remind you that it's a fucking machine head song and it will punch you square in the face repeatedly again. Yep. And that's, that, again,
0: that's, that's just what I love about the band that yeah. even, even on a slower song, like um the like their their arrangements are not um are not predictable,
1: and not one bit. Especially, by the way, I do have to shout give one big shout out to Phil Demmel because when I was jamming this album, I posted the vinyl on my Instagram. Phil Demmel was badass enough to like and comment on it, which I my thing is I don't post albums to get likes or anything. I post them because like I genuinely love this music. And I genuinely, I genuinely like the records and movies I post about, or I want to have some kind of appreciation for them at the very least. But because it's one of my favorite records and one of my favorite guitar players liked my post, I'm like, (laughs) I that made my fucking
0: day when I found that out. Oh, always, always uh, a great feeling when when one of your heroes find finds a finds a post and and likes it
1: yeah and just like to kind of get away from that it i'm just kind of like man it's a bummer that the next album i don't want to have it be like doom and gloom before the end of the episode but you know just knowing the next album is what it is ultimately it's kind of a bummer, especially because how great the soloing is on this album. Like Phil's solo lands the killing blow on this song for me. Same. The next one, we get back from slow, methodical, and dark to just playing dark, heavy, and caving your skull in again. Eyes of the Dead.
0: And again, one of the things I wrote in my notes, um, especially because of, like the way the song um, opens, is yeah, we we definitely need to give some more love to Dave McLean, who is just um, absolutely annihilating uh, that drum kit.
1: Oh, no doubt about it. In my mind, I swear he hits every tom, every his snare, his every symbol. Every bass drum, I swear, he hits every part of that kit at least fifty times per minute. Like he's not just like doing death metal blast beats on it, but it's just something about his drumming just makes the song just constantly attack you along with the riff.
0: You you can you can you can easily tell that he's influenced by um uh, Neil Peart.
1: Oh well, one hundred percent. But then again, anybody who I I personally argue anybody who listens to metal bands of current day, you owe a lot to Neil Peart.
0: (laughs) Uh
1: And especially again, to jump on to like how other great parts of the song, this is basically just if you shortened wolves and gave it a bigger chorus, you'd get eyes of the dead.
0: Yeah, sounds about right.
1: Uh now we must discover the brown note. <laughs> Cause uh beneath the silt is in a goddamn weird tuning.
0: Yeah, so where so where is uh the brown note? Uh,
1: I have no clue. I'm gonna assume it still hasn't been discovered, but I'm gonna assume. Definitely, deathcore bands and gent bands haven't discovered it yet. So, hey, if Machine Head want to go searching for it on beneath the silt, <laughs> hey, they at least gave it a good effort,
0: I'd say. And this is this is probably the one for me that felt the most um, groovy because we um, we sometimes forget that Machine Head uh, is a groove metal band, and they um they they know how to uh they they know how to like keep those keep those uh groove metal elements even in their more progressive uh albums
1: actually the main thing i noticed with this especially like my last couple of listens jamming this again did you notice phil's solo like in your left ear during like the last chorus a little bit like especially when you have like really good headphones man you pick up like certain things you've missed before that's why I prefer listening to my music and like you know over the ear type headphones because man this solo basically made me an even bigger fan of this song just because on top of that massive again, arena-sized chorus that I don't think Machine Head get enough credit for writing on. Even albums that have, like, nine, ten-plus-minute songs, they still land a killing blow with a great chorus without having it sound too poppy and just have, like, this technical solo over it.
0: Yeah, they are very good at um, at deliv- delivering um, anthemic choruses, but, like you said... Not too, not too poppy. They 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 find they find a nice a nice uh, sweet spot for those.
1: Yeah, especially just given how to kind of use a band that they toured with on the last album, the way all that remains have their choruses where it's like, yes, we're designing this for the radio, especially like on albums they would be putting out like more twenty ten. 2012 onward ish. Uh, the next track, though, this one we've got a lot to talk about, especially knowing what comes on the next record. In comes the
0: flood. Yeah, this is this is um, the second. This is the second um, song that um, that Jared uh, has uh, contributed um, lyrically. And it's it's another it's another um, political song um, because you know machine machine head is kind of known for for their politics.
1: I would say more than kind of, especially when you go and read some of the. I, I'm not even on Facebook anymore, largely just because of how dumb the comments can get some days. Just. Man, if people don't realize it now, Machine Head's always been, they've been political since album number one. (laughs) and Exactly. This this song is just another byproduct of, like for me, the only real problem I have is just kind of the, uh, one of the last parts of the second verse. I kind of find one part of the lyrics just kind of lands a little bit with a thud. But the rest of the song, politically, it makes its point. It's communicated intelligently and poetically the way it would on previous records. And I was telling you this, Mike, that middle section, that clean section between Rob and Jared, more towards like the four or five minute mark. Is it just me or does that part kind of remind you of like Awaken the Dreamers by All Shall Perish?
0: Yeah, I, I, I do get a little bit of a little bit of that. Do you do you think um lyrically this song kind of um holds up better today than it than it would um back in 2014?
1: I think that was during the period where I think most people know where both of us stand, like politically, but I think that was the time period where what was being posted online things that were getting reported on in the media that was when things were kind of starting to get a little bit more muddied if that makes sense and really you can't say it doesn't hold up especially just knowing that we still have rich assholes trying to launch themselves into space and just spend ridiculous amounts of money while a lot of people are still just barely scraping by in life so i mean yeah i I, i'd have to agree with you
0: because that's that's really my my biggest takeaway from this track it seems like now we need more songs like this because it doesn't it doesn't seem like things are getting better anytime soon in fact they're only getting worse
1: yeah especially with uh Especially with modern current events. I know we're not, I'm not trying to get like preachy or up anybody's ass about, you know, for me, you know, we're, I'm here to talk about music, but I'd kind of be tone deaf if we didn't acknowledge like certain events going on in the world right now. So it's just kind of, you know, sometimes music just needs to be a reflection of the real world. And this just does it in a way that, on one hand, it's enjoyable to listen to, but at the same time, like it it confronts a real issue, which as much as I have feelings about the next album, I really don't get why people
0: honed in on that. Like it was an issue. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll get it. We'll get into that um, on the next episode. But my, my, my thing about music and politics is it's a, it's about the execution it's not about it's not necessarily just about the message
1: yeah exactly that's that's the way it should be at the end of the day uh, um so, but mu- but
0: mu- but musically the song just kicks ass
1: oh yeah 100% like the the band is basically just firing on all cylinders when you get down to it it's very for as doom and gloom as it is it just does what it does so well. Indeed. The next track, though, what if I told you it was supposed to go on Unto the Locust? Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, I just found this out recently from their Instagram page. Apparently, damn it, this was from the uh, 10th anniversary of Unto the Locust. Apparently there was an effort to get damage inside put on Unto the Locust. So I have no idea how that album would have looked with this song on it.
0: Yeah, that's that's um that's interesting because you know we, we we've talked before about how um the track order it it, it is just as important to like the like the listening experience as like the individual tracks themselves. So I'm just kind of curious where damage inside would have even fit on the record.
1: Yeah. That's the main thing. I don't think it could have come before or after darkness within. I don't think it could have gone between be still a no and locust. I don't think it could have gone after pearls before the swine. I don't know. It just kind of feels like the odd one out of the bunch. Especially, I didn't even know this until like recently. Apparently, Dave McClain is the one playing guitar on this. Hmm. Like, I knew he contributed like a ton of riffs to the band before, but I had no clue that like he played guitar on this track. I think this is the first time he's played guitar on
0: a Machine Head record. Yeah, i I I think this is uh like the only the only album which he's um, credited on a um as a guitarist
1: yeah which is kind of we uh, actually i should also mention this uh apparently i'm not a fan of this band but it's noteworthy apparently jordan fish of bring me the horizon does the keyboards and string arrangements on
0: this and on in comes the flood that that that's cool um any any time that like fans bring in um like additional personnel um just just for like those little um like those you know little flares that that's always cool to me
1: yeah and in this case i again i'm not really a, i'm not a bring me the horizon fan by any stretch but yeah, this actually does bring something to the music. And plus, it's just a very depressing compared to how Unto the Locust was and how confrontational it was. This is much more depressing to hear, like almost defeated.
0: Yeah, you like, you kind of can't help but feel a little heartbroken after listening to this
1: yeah, it kind of just makes you feel like this is kind of the best way I can transition into the next song because the band themselves really did feel defeated especially after (sighs) we gotta talk about the Adam Deuce in the room.
0: (laughs) Yep. So Uh, track 10 is called Game Over and this might be the closest that like um that any met like a metal band has come to like legitimately writing a diss track
1: now except for devil with the king's card on the burning red true <laughs> uh because yeah uh i say that purely because apparently when machinehead was doing that tour with death clock black dahlia murder and all that remains apparently that tour was hell for them to get through and apparently adam deuce was just like he was just not compliant at all and from kind of going back on and looking watching past interviews with the guy i don't know which side to really believe i think it's kind of a mixture of both sides played their part so what I kind of gather is Adam wanted to contribute more lyrics and music ideas to Unto the Locust, but Rob kept shooting them down for what ended up being on the album. But then then eventually he just said, you know what, fuck you, man, I'm not going to give you any more lyrics if every time you're just going to be like, eh, no, thanks and then on rob's side he just kind of goes he just was he just would not comply or you know contribute he didn't even seem like he wanted to be there at that point which i have no idea how true it is if this dates back all the way to like 2001 but you know i think eventually just egos butt heads and it resulted in him being fired from the band, and um, this song ends up being a result of that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard to imagine Machine Head without Adam Deuce. I mean this 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 album does like a good job without him, but still, he's he's like. Part of the history of the band
1: yeah because at this point rob's the only original member left like we were mentioning on night of long knives the lyrics just don't pull any punches like i i I know they were trying to be because adam deuce would eventually go on to sue the band because they still had him on their website but you know, Locust had just come out two years prior, so it makes make sense why he'd still be on the band's website because he was a member and played on that record. But no, I think they tried to keep it as vague as possible to where it could be open to interpretation, but there's some pretty, pretty blunt and direct references to
0: Rob and Adam's friendship. Yeah, like you like um even if like you didn't know like the full the full story, you can even just hear the anger on um on this track with Rob's uh delivery.
1: Well, especially just the delivery has to be there, but also the lyrics do because like at this point let's just be honest there's no coming back after a line like on the day of your demise unburied and left for the flies believe me that I will piss upon your grave like yeah you're not coming back to this band ever (laughs) but like as for the music side of things this is another Rob Phil type track and it just Especially knowing that later in like 2019 that Phil and Dave would jam with Adam in one of Phil's cover bands. Isn't it kind of awkward that Rob and Adam hate each other and Phil kind of helped Rob write a song, basically just tearing him a new (laughs) asshole and putting him on blast. (laughs) Like eventually you just kind of go like uh dude, so you wrote a song saying that this guy is gonna piss on my dead body. I I can I can only imagine how that conversation would look like.
0: <laughs> uh I, I, I'm I'm sure we we've all been in that in that position where um where we're we're like the middleman um between between like two friends, um you know like feuding with each other and we're and we're just like in that awkward position
1: yeah the because like no lie i've blasted game over whenever i've had issues with certain people i've i either was friends with or am still friends with and we managed to hash it out but i mean you know the music itself is a good enough reflection of what it's like to be in a friendship that's kind of like just barely hanging on at the seams. What else do you have to say about Game Over? Because I kind of feel like I
0: kind of um, feel
1: like this is another one of those machine head reveal something very dark and personal on the album
0: moments. Um, I think we we kind of we kind of covered everything, um, as far as like the lyrics and and just the overall theme um and then just musically like you said this is this is demo and demo and flynn just you know just being badasses across across uh the entire six and a half minute track
1: yeah uh then we get to uh One of the few instrumentals in Machine Head's career, even if it is mostly just audiobook snippets.
0: Yep, this is um, Imaginal Cells.
1: Which apparently it's from an audiobook that Rob Flynn was recommended to, I believe, either by a member of Job for a Cowboy or Havoc. Hmm. I could be completely wrong. I can't remember which band, but I know in the liner notes he thanks a member from again. I can't remember if it's job for a cowboy or havoc, but you know, he thanks them for recommending that audiobook to him, which it kind of serves the same purpose the way Realize 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 did on Burn My Eyes.
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna say, like, um it 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 does seem like this is a um kind of spiritual successor to that track
1: oh definitely it's it's not a very shreddy it's still kind ca- it is kind of weird in the track listing having like a very downtrodden sounding song then a song that just again caves your skull in with how heavy it is and then another slower track but this time just instrumental like it it kind of is weird not having another song to kind of break that up with but i mean it is a good break into our closing track take me
0: through the fire
1: i'm gonna present you with this and it call it early i don't care i'm gonna bring up a hot take Especially knowing the record That's going to come next Mike How would you feel After this song If Machine Head Decided to call
0: it a career Funny you should mention that because I Wrote in my notes um, That This album just in general Would have been like The ultimate swan song Like if if this if this really was the end of Machine Head, I would have said, "Wow, they really and they really ended on a high note. Like it's just amazing. Come, like rising from the ashes af- after the like the flop that was Supercharger, and just like earn- earning their place as like one of the greatest." Um, one of the greatest American metal bands of the 2000s. Um- yeah.
1: Cause even like that final riff, that kind of feels like, yeah, this ends things perfectly. Cause I mean like the song itself, the song itself is incredible. Like it really feels like kind of like the way who we are ended onto the locust, this kind of, makes you feel like you made it to the end of the journey. You made it through the darkness and the deep recesses of Rob Flynn's mind. And you've come out on the other side, like a stronger person in the end. Like it really, it literally makes you you feel like you've been through the fire with this band.
0: Mm -hmm. Like, like this is basically, this is basically like the closing credits on, um, of of their career.
1: Like I best way I can kinda imagine it. Like if if they ever decided to do like a full metal alchemist live action series, if they actually had like the entire father arc done in live action, that would be this would be like the perfect song to have like that fight go
0: down to. Oh that that would be pretty awesome. And
1: Just again, I I know we keep mentioning how great Phil Demmel's soloing is, but like in terms of like the best guitar players of the the best metal guitar players of the 2000s, he doesn't get brought up like as much as say, as much as say Mark Morton and Willie Adler or Alexi Leho or to a different degree, rest in peace, Ollie Herbert, like I don't feel like he gets brought up as much as he should.
0: Yeah, no, he he really doesn't. Um which is a shame because you know, he had he has he has like the chops that like and he's he's like I'd say he's just as good as those names you mentioned. Um if if not if not like a hair um better.
1: Yeah, the best way I can describe Phil Demel is if Mark Morton is this generation's dime bag, then Phil Demel is this generation's Randy Rhodes.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: Which knowing Randy Rhodes is like his biggest influence as a musician, that's probably like the highest compliment we could give the guy. Oh yeah. But I mean, in the end, I do think that. Yeah, I do think that if Machine Head decided to like, yeah, maybe it would be premature. Maybe they would have some more things to say. And they obviously have on like future song on future standalone singles and the next album. But like, how great would it be if Machine Head said, you know what? we've said and done everything we can do as a band. This is the best we can do. We can't really top it with another album.
0: Let's call it. You know, as, as disappointing as as I might as disappointed as I might have been if if this was the end of the road for them. Like in hindsight, I would rather I would rather um artists uh go out on top then um then continue past past their prime and and um and like ruin their legacy
1: yeah it's it's one of those cases where you don't really want to see a band just fizzle it fizzle out or just phone it in with each record that just kind of sounds like you're just You're just coasting on your laurels, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, What are your favorite tracks on the record, Mike?
0: Um, Okay. If we're going to, if, if we're going to limit this to three, I would say uh, Killers and Kings. um, Mostly because that opening track, that opening riff is amazing. And that energy never really lets up throughout throughout the rest of the song killers and kings ghost will haunt my bones and uh, and sail into the black
1: uh i'm going i'm going to pick some different choices night of long knives definitely just because of the intensity the storytelling behind it and the, just the great playing all over this song. And like, it, it's just everything I want in a Machine Head song. Take Me Through the Fire, definitely a close second. And then third, I'm going to either go with Now We Die or yeah, I might just, you know, try to steal sail into the black too.
0: Again, I still can't believe people are saying that like some people say that is their least favorite.
1: Yeah, that uh, I, uh, one friend, I've just kind of been like, oh, it's so slow and boring. Like, do you not remember A Farewell to Arms off the Blackening? Cause I know that's your favorite record by them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Machine Head really, I said this in my Instagram post, even. I really do think that this is the best four album run in metal. Yeah. How can a band return from a dud that nearly caused a breakup and basically just rebuild their reputation and just continue to get better and better as musicians and songwriters and basically just make some of the best music you'll listen to regardless of genre?
0: It It's going to be hard to top, to top this run. And I, I I don't know if any members of Trivium are going to listen to this, but Uh the the challenge the challenge is on you for um for Alex Bent's fourth record. If if you could if you can make a better a better record. Um if, if you can make a better record than any of these four machine head albums, then maybe they'll have the next best um metal run.
1: Yeah, except, except, honestly, between the two of us, I don't think either of us consider any Trivium record to be even remotely as mediocre as Supercharger ended up. I, I don't want to sound like every episode we're just dunking on Supercharger, but it just is that surprising a band goes from that album to something that's more creatively interesting.
0: Yeah, and... The the whole the whole point of of this series is yeah we're 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 running we're running through the albums of one of our favorite bands but there there just really is a an inspiring narrative surrounding this band and how they how they were able to rise from the ultimate rock bottom at least for them
1: only to and I'm gonna leave it on this note Only to unfortunately return to it. (sighs) I'm not trying to sound melodramatic, but let's just put it this way. The next album is frustrating.
0: Yeah, I can't promise to review that one sober.
1: Uh, I, uh, I just reached my two year mark, not touching any alcohol. Last week, and yeah, this is. You know what? I'm gonna try and go into catharsis because, to be honest, I don't listen to it very much aside from its isolated moments. But I, I'm gonna try to approach it as
0: objectively as I can. And we we will we will find out next next week um, how that holds up. But until then. Nick, where can everyone find you online?
1: Uh, On Instagram and Instagram only, really. Uh, Super Saiyan Death Metal God. I post album covers, movies, video games. If I ever end up going to a concert again, which I will be seeing Slipknot in about three weeks, two, three weeks time. Yeah, I'll post that. But until then, you'll see a bunch of South Park posts.
0: And you guys can find me on Twitter at Captain K42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash coach K42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Look for us on Podchaser, listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, et cetera. And last but not least, everything can be found at RenegadePopculture.com. In escape, so do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Jukebox. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.